0: Good morning. morning. Let's go ahead and begin class with prayer this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study. We ask that your spirit will join us, enlighten our minds, transform us to be in harmony with your character of love. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. A few announcements. Uh, I don't think anybody here has met Simon Harrison, a friend of ours who is actually uh leading up our entire ministry in Australia does so much work for us if you saw my programs with the with the diagram of the brain on there Simon drew that diagram and uh and did that for us and then he has been working tirelessly down down there since we were there 2 years ago preparing for our upcoming um speaking events and, and it has just been so much work anyway today's simon's birthday And I just wanted to to wish Simon a happy birthday, so with me, let's just say happy birthday to Simon. One, two, three. Happy Happy birthday, birthday, Simon! Thank you for all you're doing. We are doing lesson number five in our quarterly The Book of Luke, and the title is Christ as Lord of the Sabbath. And as we get into the lesson, I got this email this week I wanted to share with you. It says, for the first and foremost, thank you for the Remedy Bible, understanding made easy. I've been following your classes since 2009 and been most blessed person. I have tremendously grown from glory to glory as I have learned not to reflect attitudes of other men and have learned the art of being fully persuaded in my own mind before I adapt or pass on anything to the next person. I have been appointed as lead to lead a Sabbath school teacher's lesson whereby I, ha- I would facilitate among the Sabbath school teachers. I normally contribute from the terraces, so to speak, so this appointment most probably was a result of the quality of discussions I contribute. They are reasonable and integrated scripture, science, and experience. My first reaction was to decline, as I knew I would be a, uh, I would be at tangent with, uh, between long-held fables and tradition as standard belief, with my view premised on a God who designed the universe according to his design template and natural law. However, I overcame the fear, and it is during Sabbath school lessons that I have the opportunity to share the good news about God. I ask for your prayers to be able to witness for God without fear of rejection. If you will note, too, that the lesson 12 of the quarter on Proverbs used your book as a resource material, I feel so, so encouraged that we are indeed unmasking the devil. May God continue to bless you, and I know one day God will allow an opportunity to open a theology university. <laughs> I laughed when I read that. <laughs> May I be amongst the first to enroll in your Bible school. I actually encourage you to, as this will be a sure way to undo what has been held for 500 years about God. I am 50 years old, and with, uh, and with the way you share the truth about God, feel I have brand new mind that can easily process anything in that regard. Thank you once more. So I just thought it was a nice email I wanted to share. And we get those all the time. I get letters, emails, uh, appreciating. So this ministry is really helping to change a lot of lives. So the lesson title, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, asks us to read the memory text, which is Mark 2, 27 and 28. And I'm going to read it to you, and you can look at the uh, New King James Version in the actual study guide. I'm going to read it to you from the remedy. After a moment... To let them think, he said, the Sabbath was created as a gift for humanity, to be a blessing for human beings. Human beings were not created as a gift for the Sabbath. Understanding this clearly, the Son of Man doesn't serve the Sabbath, it serves him. So what do you think it means the Sabbath was made for man?
1: To help rejuvenate us.
0: How is the Sabbath for man, one, one possibility, one aspect is for physical rejuvenation. But when was the Sabbath made for man?
2: Yeah. Okay, creation.
0: And what was the condition of Adam and Eve when the Sabbath was made for man? Did they get tired and worn out and fatigued, and did they need physical rejuvenation? No. So, may, so while it's true in our fallen state we, we do get rejuvenated, I don't, I don't dispute that at all. But was its creation for that purpose primarily in its origins?
3: No, it was created for us to have a better relationship with God, to get to know Him. It was a day of our commitment to Him, I look at it like that, was made perfect to the Sabbath.
4: It was a day to examine the evidence that oh. presented to the universe. To take 24 hours aside to examine the evidence. Am I who I say I am, or am I who Satan says I am? I leave you free to decide.
0: Nicely said. The commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Which day of the week in the world today do you think has more partying and kind of stuff going on than than any other day of the week? Friday night and Saturday? Possibly. Does all the wickedness done by human beings on this day of the week around the world make the Sabbath less holy? Can you do anything that will make the Sabbath less holy? then what does it mean, keep the Sabbath holy? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. If you can't do anything to make it less holy. Are we, yes?
5: The keep is like, I think of like a, a castle or a keep, and it's used to protect something that's already there. So when I hear the word keep, we're to protect something that's already there with our actions and our thoughts.
0: I, I like I that, like, that's a nice idea. Um. When we, quote, keep the Sabbath holy, are we actually keeping the Sabbath holy, or are we keeping ourselves holy?
6: Our Sabbath is
0: already holy. Ah, isn't that interesting? Um, can you keep yourself holy only one day out of seven?
7: Can
1: you keep yourself holy
0: at all? <laughs> right, exactly. Well yeah i think we can in our relationship with with the lord and i'm going to get to that how there's a method we do it, not in our own strength in our own might but yes that's a good point but yes there isn't there is a, a decision we have to make participating in god's plan to stay connected to keep us holy yeah and we're going to go through that in a second what is holiness but can you keep yourself even in god's plan holy one day out of seven hmm well notice the uh Second paragraph from Friday's lesson, if you have a quarterly, jump to Friday's lesson, and this is a quoting out of a book called Desire of Ages, page 283. It says, No other institution which was committed to the Jews tended to fully distinguish them from surrounding nations as did the Sabbath. God designed that its observance should designate them as his worshippers. It was to be a token of their separation from idolatry and their connection with the true God. But in order to keep the Sabbath holy, men must themselves be holy. Through faith, they must become partakers of the righteousness of Christ. Oh, now there, there's how the holiness comes. We we don't do it ourselves. We partake of the righteousness of Christ. But if we aren't partaking of the righteousness of Christ, can we keep the Sabbath holy? No matter what we do on the Sabbath, if we aren't partaking of the righteousness of Christ, can we keep the Sabbath holy? No, that's a very important thing because, oh, we'll break that down in a minute, but think about all the ways Sabbath can be kept without partaking the righteousness of Christ. So then, what does it mean to be holy? Set apart. Set apart. I like this. I, I thought of that too. And, and then, so, set apart from what? From the world, of course. In, in what way? See, because the traditional way of viewing this is set apart by what we do on this day. But we've just established that you can't be set apart by what you do on this day if you aren't partaking of the righteousness of Christ. So they're primarily set apart by what we're doing or is what we're doing a symptom or side effect or an or a, a evidence of something else that's set apart first?
8: We are, we are my, our minds and our lives are set apart for God.
0: Yeah, so setting apart, would that be cutting away from? And, and is there a circumcision of some sort that's supposed to happen in the believer? What's the New Testament say? Circumcision is what? the heart a cutting away of the affections of the of the motives of the worldly ways uh, we are we are to be as you say set apart but i'm going to suggest set apart primarily in heart mind character motive method first not behavior behavior comes second so there is a setting apart of behavior but can you set yourself apart behaviorally without being set apart in heart yes
6: linda i think of another word that's similar Holy, as in W H O L Y. You're wholly devoted to God and getting to know Him and having a relationship with Him, kind of like you would in a marriage. You know, you, you wholly devote that day to your relationship, whereas other days, by necessity, need for you to accomplish things to make a living and so on. That day is holy for God. Well,
0: I Lift Him Up, page 105, I read the following It is not enough. For us to know and respect the words of the scriptures, we must ent- we must enter into the understanding of them. I like that since our classes come in reason. <laughs> okay. we must enter an understanding of them, studying them earnestly. Christians will reveal the degree to which they do do this by the healthiness of their spiritual character. We must know the practical application of the word to our own individual character building. We are to be holy temples. In which God can live and walk and work. Holy temple. We are to be holy temples. I, I, God can live and walk and work. I think that through God. And, holy temple. I, I like that. Just This is actually the Apostles 51. Holiness is not rapture. Meaning a, a, a euphoric emotional experience. That's somewhat it is. It is an entire surrender of the will the other holy, the entire surrender of the will, to God. It is living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is doing the will of our Heavenly Father. It is trusting God in trial, in darkness as well as in light. It is walking by faith and not by sight. It is relying on God with unquestioning confidence and resting in his love. What is holiness? Does this sound experiential? Something that is different in how we think, function, feel, decision-making, a walk of trust, confidence in God, that this, this this is holiness. How many people can, quote, keep the Sabbath without any of this? The people who put Christ on the cross. They went him down by sunset so they could keep the Sabbath. But were they walking by faith? Were they trusting God with their lives? Were they surrendered to him in love? How about today? Can we have people in church today who rigidly keep the Sabbath, but without any of this? And then Christ's Object Lessons 48, still looking at holiness. True holiness, and the next word, is wholeness, H-O-L-E-N-E-S. So the whole, holy, yeah, there's wholeness in the service of God. This is the condition of the true Christian life, living. Christ asks for an unreserved consecration, for undivided service. He demands the heart, the mind, the soul, and the strength. I'm going to pause in the middle of this quote and ask, why does Christ demand? What does this mean? If I walked up to you and said, I demand that you love me. The person you love, if they demanded it from you, does it help love flow? No. So,
7: but if you think it's a mere suggestion, there they, it leaves room for, let me keep my other distractions, which deters from the complete happiness that he wants for the individual.
0: So the question then is, why does Christ demand the full heart, him first, allegiance to him above all others, why does he demand this? I ask this question around, and people will say, well, because it's his right. Because he's creator, because he's sovereign, because he uh, paid the price. He paid the price to, to earn his right to demand this. Oh, did you hear this? Okay, you had a comment. Yeah.
6: I think to be fully restored, you have to wholly accept God all the way and let him take over.
0: So so do you want to expand on the idea that it's, it's best for us?
6: The more
1: uh, distracted we are, the more thing other things that we put before him, the, the worse we become you know, by beholding we become changed. And so if we are not wholly devoted to Christ, with with our everything focused in on him, then we are not becoming the best that he intended for us to be. And okay. we're made out of balance. I'm sorry.
0: Back there.
5: So if you think about whenever he said to Lazarus, get up. He he demanded it. He demanded the light to enter into Lazarus and we're grafted into the vine. And he's speaking life. He's the man Did that life go in there.
0: Oh, I, I like this very much. So, who is the source of life? Do we have life independent from our connection with God? No, we do not. So why is it a demand that we start first with Him? Well, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and then everything else comes second. We can do nothing of our own self. Because if we are not connected to Him for, for life, for insight, for wisdom, for truth, for transformation, for energizing power, for everything that's good, because we can't originate that. It comes from him. Then we can't carry anything out. In fact, we wither and die. The branch broken off from the vine, what does it do? So if the branch wants to produce fruit, it has to say, first, connected to the vine. Not for the benefit of the vine primarily, but for the benefit of the branch. We're the branches. We can't do anything good disconnected from him an electrical appliance first has to be plugged into the wall if you unplug it and disconnect it it can't accomplish anything no matter what it was built to do it must stay plugged in so our first responsibility and this is why it's a demand because this is how life is actually constructed to operate and so look at it through that design law how things are actually built to run it can't run any other way versus a system of rules. Well, he's sovereign, he demands and If not, then he'll get mad, and his feelings will get hurt, and he'll punish, which is the way it's often presented. Yes? Could you say replace demand with beneficial
4: requirements? You could also say the same thing. if You could use your PC on the net. You have to be connected to the net. You want to have, when your car, you have to be connected to a gas station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a beneficial
7: requirement there.
0: Yes, I, yeah, I think so, yes. But it depends on what the level you're talking at, the comprehension level. Yes? But yes, I like that. Yeah.
7: Separate comment also. Um, with the without the connection, there is absolute disbalance. However, in the case for the prime example uh, often given is the Pharisees, where they had the the uh, form but not the life there, and so the truth element is disconnected. So they may be upright, functional, but how awful to be leading others away
1: from God instead of to Him, with, with sure. that connection broken.
5: Sure. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I always enjoy these discussions, but I think practically a lot of the time, so when we talk about being connected and, and how important that is. What does that look like? You know, um, if if I were to be talking to somebody and say, you know, well, you need to be connected to Christ, you need to be in that relationship with Him, and they go. What
0: do I, how do I? How? So let, let me finish this quote then, because I think it answers. There's a beautiful question. Perfect timing. And listen, here's, here's the quote, starting with the sentence we we just were reading. He demands the heart, the mind, the soul, the strength. Self is not to be cherished. He who lives to himself is not a Christian. Love must be the principle of action. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth. Notice the underlying principle. Design protocol. And it must be the foundation of the Christian's character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him to withstand trial and temptation. This is the religion of Christ. Anything short of it is a deception. No mere theory of truth or profession of discipleship will save any soul. No mere legal accounting, going through a certain ritual. No. We do not belong to Christ unless we are his holy H. W H uh, O L L Y. It is by half heartedness in the Christian life that men become feeble in purpose and changeable in desires. The effort to serve both self and Christ makes one a stony ground hearer. In other words, the, the, the stones come up and take it out. So, how do we do this? First, we have to come back to a love relationship with, with God and Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? This is where, you know, lies believe, break the circle of love and trust. You're in a marriage relationship and you believe your spouse is cheating, but they're not. That that trust and love in your heart is being fractured by the belief in a lie. You don't trust them. You think they're cheating. Believing lies about God severs the connection. That's why it starts with, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth about who? Truth about God destroys lies, wins us to trust, and trust, we open the heart. And then Romans 5, 5, he pours his love into our hearts, and we start that love experience, and we experience in our lives his grace, his kindness, his patience, his gentleness, How many of you experienced where you blew it, but he was gracious and loving and kind anyway? And that wins us to trust. Second paragraph. It says, Indeed, Christ during his earthly mission emphasized the binding claims of the Sabbath. In all his teachings, he showed reverence for the institution he himself had, he himself had given. In his day, the Sabbath had become so perverted that its observance reflected the character of selfish and arbitrary men rather than the character of God. Christ set aside the false teachings by which those who claimed to know God had misrepresented him. So what are the binding claims of the Sabbath? When you hear those words, what comes to mind? Binding claims of the Sabbath. How do you hear that? What's the first impression you get from that? Okay, slavery.
6: James. Legal
0: legal requirements. Some some law oppression requirement that you have to it, that's that's the that's the conditioning with which we were raised to see the world and God through imperialism. Well let's break it down. What does a claim mean? What is a claim?
6: Ownership Statement.
0: It's an a claim. I claim to be here representing the truth about God.
7: A declaration of either wanting possession of, so you claim property, or a statement of uh, projection of what.
0: I place I place a claim on that property. That property is mine. I'm placing a claim. The claim is an assertion of fact. That's what a claim is. An assertion of fact. I claim this to be true. I claim. So, what does the Sabbath claim? What is the claims of the Sabbath? What does it claim or assert to be true about God?
7: God the Creator.
0: Number one, He's Creator. He built the fabric of the cosmos. And number two then, right in conjunction with that, what are His laws as Creator? as builder, as designer, as architect of reality in the fabric of the cosmos, then what are his laws?
4: It's also a great, your recognition and acceptance that he is these as well when you celebrate the Sabbath. It's the
1: law of love and yeah. liberty. Yeah.
0: So design protocol stuff, but law of love, law of liberty, truth presented in love, leaving people free in the context of which the Sabbath is created. So we it claims God is creator, it claims God is the designer, it also, the, the methods that he uses, he presented the truth in love, left beings free, and the Sabbath claims God, under rightly understood, does not impose rules and threaten us with imposed punishments. The Sabbath presents evidence in love and leaves us free. Now, what what does bind, so that's claims, he's claiming this about God. That's what it does in its context. What are the bindings? It says, um, the binding claims of the Sabbath. Anybody go snowboarding or skiing? What are the fasteners that fasten your boots or skis to the board or snow called? That the skis called? They're called bindings. Bindings. And what is their function? What do the bindings do? What they, what's their function? What's their purpose? Pardon?
1: They hold you to the skis. They
0: hold you to the skis. So, what are the binding claims of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is claiming that God is like this. That God is like this. That God is like this. The truth about God's evidence in the Sabbath, this character of truth, love, freedom, embodied in his creation. And when rightly understood and recognized, this truth binds us to him. Thus the Sabbath is a sign that God sanctifies, heals, restores, makes us righteous, or makes us holy. How? Lies believed break the circle of love and trust. Truth believed destroys lies and wins us to trust, opens the heart. The Holy Spirit comes in and heals, recreates, writes a law on the heart and mind, makes, sanctifies us, takes what Christ has achieved, reproduces it in us so it's no longer I that live. Thus the Sabbath, when rightly understood, claims God is a God of love, truth, and freedom. These claims, when realized and internalized into the heart, as reality, we believe and we act on this as, as as true, bind us in love and trust to God and result in opening the heart and transformation. So what are the binding claims? Not some performance, not some behavior, not some action you must do, but a reality of how the universe operates and who God's character really is. These are the claims of the Sabbath. Yes. Yeah.
7: Alternate, um, an additional thought on binding. Uh, the world is full of brokenness, the brokenness of sin. It's kind of like having broken legs, broken arms. The binding can be the healing, the support, the what allows us to come back into restoration. So an, another thought of binding is uh, that element of God's uh, truth being what helps to heal the brokenness.
0: Now, there's no question that that, that that his truth and love are Healing remedy for us, no question about it. But, but angels in heaven also are bound by the revelation of God's character in, in love, and loyalty, and trust. So, yeah, there's no question about the healing aspect. In the quote of the uh, that in the lesson, the author also noted that the Jews perverted the Sabbath so that the character of God was obstructed by their rules and restrictions. Right day but obstructed by rules and restrictions. Presenting the Sabbath as a legal requirement, filled with legal restrictions, as arbitrary tests of obedience, one distorts the claims of the Sabbath and present the Sabbath as not claiming God as a God of love, truth, and freedom, but God is, but claiming that God is a, a dictator, an imposer of rules, an imposer of punishments. Thus the Sabbath is twisted to misrepresent God, as the author says. Arbitrary. arbitrary. And, and, and so within... Adventism, the largest Christian organization that promotes the Sabbath of the seventh day of the week, is there this infection where the Sabbath is actually presented to make claims that are false about God? I didn't bring the quotes. I've got them published in our literature that say this very thing. The Sabbath is arbitrary, an arbitrary test of obedience. Pardon? It's
1: just a test of our obedience.
0: Yes, it's just a rule that he made up. It's only holy because he says so. And 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 this model of thinking, which is level 1 through 4 thinking. This way of thinking sets people up for deception because holiness, righteousness is simply a declaration of the one in charge. So the devil only has to convince you that he is he is the one in charge. He is, you know, the the Messiah coming to you know he's going to come to impersonate Christ. He just has to convince you that he's really Christ, and then when he gives declarations, you believe he's declared it to be so. I've, I've had this conversation with some Adventists who think this way, and I say, what do you do if the future unfolds in this way? It's all hypothetical, but if the future unfolds in this way, that that a being of brilliant light comes claiming to be Christ, and he does miracles and, and speaks wonderful things and and uh, and he claims that that Sunday is the Sabbath, and and then another being of more brilliance comes, and more power comes, and 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 overthrows this guy, and and with power pushes him aside, and 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 and, pr- and says to the world, said no, this is a lie. The seventh Adventists have been my true faithful friends because they have understood that that only the Sabbath is the day, the day of holiness, and and they they and they have understood that they would only keep a day that I made holy. And I never made this other day holy. But I'm here today to bring us all into unity. And today, as as a renewal of Christianity, I'm now changing the holiness from Sabbath to Sunday. On my word and the authority of my word. If you have no other basis for Sabbath being holy other than God declares it, and he can change it because it's just a rule he makes, you're in trouble. If you don't understand design law, and how things are constructed to operate. It's just declarative.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: Then the king can make any laws he wants anytime he wants.
4: Worse than that, I think uh, it also means that we, on the basis of our evaluation of right and wrong, whether it's, you know, gradation you know, 1 to 4 or 5 to 7 or whatever, we then have become the final word as to what the final truth is.
0: Ultimately, we are the final word on final truth for our own minds. For our own minds. Not the reality of how it works, but we will all decide what we choose to believe. Won't we? Now, that doesn't change the reality of what's actually true. But we each have a responsibility to exercise our minds and, as it says in Hebrews 5.14, develop by practice the ability to discern the true from the false, the right from the wrong. We have that privilege through working with God in the spirit of truth to develop the faculties that discern right and wrong. God does not want us to simply be obedient slaves who simply look to the one in charge and say, Okay, God, you tell us what's true and false. We don't want to make any mistakes. We're waiting for you to tell us. We're not going to take an action. We're not going to take a thought. We just want to obey you. So you tell us what's right and wrong. You know, it was, it was raining yesterday, Lord, and I wasn't sure. Should I take the umbrella or, or, the, or, the, uh, or the slicker? Which, which should I take, Lord? You tell me because I don't want to go out there and do the wrong thing. And many people think this is what God wants. It's not what God wants. God wants us to grow up that we actually understand. This is John fifteen fifteen. No longer I call you servants, or rather I call you friends because servants don't understand their master's business, but I've revealed everything to you. He wants us to understand actually how it works. And we understand design law stuff and some supreme looking being comes and and makes miracles and wonders and makes it appear he's he's raising the dead and speaks melodiously, uh, narcissistically strokes you for all your wonderful law keeping, and then tells you he's arbitrarily changing the day. That would be like him saying, if you understand design law right, I have now declared that you don't have to breathe. I've changed, I'm, just, I'm declaring that this is no longer necessary. No, de- declarations can't change how reality is built. So the true claims of the Sabbath, God is love, who presents truth and then leaves us free. And those who accept those claims find their hearts bound in loyalty and love to God and will not be duped by an arbitrary dictator who can do a great firework show in the sky. Here's an interesting quote I found in First Selected Messages, uh, page 371, one of the historic quotes from, from over 100 years ago. It says, In presenting the binding claims of the law, many have failed to portray the infinite love of Christ. Those who have so great truths, so weighty reforms to present to the people have not had realization of the value of the atoning sacrifice as an expression of God's great love to man. Love for Jesus and Jesus' love for sinners have been dropped out of the religious experience of those who have been commissioned to preach the gospel and self has been exalted instead of the redeemer of mankind. The law is to be presented to to its transgressors not as something apart from God, but rather as an exponent of his mind and character. As the sunlight cannot be separated from the sun, so God's law cannot be rightly presented to man apart from the divine author. I'm going to pause right there in this quote. Think about the sunlight and the sun. And which law lens, impose law, system of rules, design law, how things are built and sustained, which law lens more accurately pr- connects to that metaphor of sunlight and sun?
7: sun.
0: Exactly. This is how it's built. He, is, he has created the reality of the cosmos. He is the sustaining energy source from it. All life derives from him. He's constantly giving of himself for the welfare of his universe. This is the reality that we are to present when we present God's law. It's just an expression of his goodness, his kindness, and love. And as we participate in that, we grow, we grow more righteous, healthy, strong, and so forth. Keep on with the quote. The messenger should be able to say, In the law is God's will. See, why is it law God's will? It's his will for us to love, for us to give, for us to to care about others, for us to grow, for us to be healthy, for us to be vibrant, for us to expand in all of our abilities over time. That's his will. Come see for yourself that the law is what Paul declared it to be holy and just and good. It reproves sin, it condemns the sinner, but it shows him the need of Christ with whom is plenteous mercy and goodness and truth. Now, I'm going to Listen to these words because I want you to interpret the right meaning of these words because they're so often interpreted through a different lens. Through the law, excuse me, though the law cannot remit the penalty of sin, but charges the sinner with all his debt, Christ has promised abundant pardon to all who repent and believe in His mercy. Now I'm going to pause before I go on with the quote. There's only two more sentences in the quote. But how do you hear that? What does it mean? Which lens do you hear those words through? Imperial rules with no inherent consequence or design law? Why can't the law not remit the penalty of sin?
1: For the same reason that we can't remit the need to breathe.
0: And the laws of health cannot remit the penalty of drinking poison. Can they? Is there a penalty to drinking poison? And can the laws of health undo or remit or reverse that? No. Neither can God's design laws. When you deviate from God's design laws, it is damaging to you, and the law itself cannot reverse that. What can remit the penalty of drinking poison? What can reverse that penalty? A remedy, a cure, an antidote. If you got bit by a snake and you had poison running through your through your body, what remits that is not the laws of health, but an antidote to the poison itself, right? Yes, and the laws of health don't change. The laws of health aren't being appeased. The laws of health aren't being abrogated. The laws of health aren't being covered over to give you an antidote. The laws of health stand. They don't change one bit. What's changing is something in you is changing. The poison is being addressed and resolved by an antidote. So what changes? So what does what does charge the sinner with his debt mean? The law charges the sinner with his debt. It means the law diagnoses him accurately. That's what it means. It diagnoses accurately what's wrong, where the deviation is, where the terminal infection is, is originating and how it's manifesting through the system. The law diagnoses correctly. As Paul says, I wouldn't know what sin was if it wasn't for the for the law. I wouldn't know how sick I was if the law didn't didn't reveal it and expose it. What does the abundant pardon mean for those who repent?
4: The acceptance of God's love their heart.
0: Transformation, renewal, regeneration, recreation, the character. See when someone has cancer the goal for the treatment is to put the cancer in remission for it to remit Says the penalty will not remit by the law but the goal without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin the goal is to put the cancer in remission what's remission mean that the cancer cells remit back to their previous healthy non-cancerous state that's what remission means There's no evidence of the cancer. It's in remission. Our characters could not remit back to the holiness and righteousness that God designed for us to have without the work of Christ in our life and what he's accomplished for us. The law can't do that for us. Christ has done that, and we partake of Christ. So it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. So finishing off the quote, the love of God is extended in abundance... To the repenting, believing soul, what's extended to when we repent? The love of God. The, now, notice these words: the brand. That's not the um, the um, copyright brand. This is the brand, as in you when you brand a animal. Okay, the brand of sin upon the soul can be effaced, what's effaced like erased, removed, only through the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Okay, dark speech language, symbolic language. Let's decode it. Yes.
8: That's an outworking also of the law. So the damage has been done. The law is diagnosing that, but also how things work is also how the remedy is being provided.
0: Thank you. As well said.
8: So, you know, you're talking about poison and everything else, and I think you've used the illustration of ethanol poisoning, I mean, methanol poisoning before. You know, you use the law to protect someone from that, and that use a different agent. But that's also part of the law.
0: Right, so can doctors get patients well outside the laws of health? No. No. So when the laws of health are being violated, we're we're looking for interventions to put the patient back in harmony. So that's what you're saying. Yes, you can't heal outside the law. But the law itself can't heal. So intervention, yeah, yeah, that's well said. Good. So back to this, this, this sentence. It's metaphor, it's symbol. Don't take it as concrete. Interpret the meaning of the words and see what we come up with. The brand of sin upon the soul can be effaced only through the blood of the atoning sacrifice. So brand, what's brand mean? Scar. The mark, the scar, the, the, the formation of, of a, of a, of a claim of ownership even, because that's what brands do as well but it distorts, it marks, it burns, it sears. Upon the soul, what's the soul? Greek word for soul is psyche, from which we get psychiatry and psychology. It means your mind, your heart, your character, your individuality, your unique personhood. So the brand of sin upon your person can be effaced. What's effaced
6: mean?
0: Erased. erased, removed, cleansed. Hopefully your computers are going. You're thinking, 2,300 days the sanctuary be cleansed, cleansing the sanctuary, spirit temple. All these different things are popping into your mind as you think about effacing sin and cleansing. And hope your mind does that. Mind does that. Okay. Can be effaced, cleansed, removed only through the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Blood. What's the blood? Are we talking red corpuscles, plasma, platelets? Is that what we're talking about here? No, no, the life is in the blood. Yes. And so only through the life of Christ, thus it's no longer I that live it. And Christ says in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part from me. This is not cannibalism. It's symbol. And so the flesh of Christ... In the old system, the flesh of the lamb and the blood of the lamb. In the new system, the bread of the communion service and the wine of the communion service are now replacing the flesh of the blood and the blood, but they're still symbols. And what do they represent? The bread or the flesh represents the word of God that we internalize in studying, taking into our hearts, believing the truth about God. You know, the truth, the truth is that you're free. And then after taking the word that wins us to trust, we open the heart and we partake of the blood, which is the life or the wine, which is the life of Christ. We get a new heart and right spirit. It's no longer I that live, but Christ was in me. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's actually regenerational, transformational. So this is what it means. The brand of sin in your soul, the scars, the deformity of character that we suffer with under the, the uh, fear and selfishness, the, the, the principles of Satan that corrupt us are erased from our souls. And we get new hearts and minds, right spirits. We're reborn, in the man through partaking of Jesus Christ.
6: Amen. So would the brand be the same as the mark of the beast?
0: Yeah, and, there, and the brand and the mark. There you go. Yes, back here.
5: When you think about the grafting, Um, I was thinking about how you're explaining uh, remittance and character and how, you know, cancer is going from something that's dangerous and deadly back to what would be healthy. But we don't, I was thinking, well, we never had that health. But when we attach ourselves to Christ, that becomes what it remits to. That's health. And then the other illustrations going backwards, the other ones, the lifeblood flowing outwards. So I don't know, I just saw like an illustration in my mind. The remittance has taken us back to have that character, and a life is flowing out into the vine, into the branch.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. That's right. So that's why Christ partook of our humanity for the purpose of remitting human character back to its divine, because we couldn't do it. And we never partook of it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Christ did what we could not achieve. So how does this all then connect back to keeping the Sabbath holy? The, or the binding claims of the Sabbath how does it connect to that what are the binding claims I want to pause because have you ever heard of the binding claims presented like that before so I want to pause because we're so indoctrinated to think binding claims are some rules we have to we can't, we can't go to a restaurant on Sabbath or if you, if you go to the if you go to the university at Sabbath you have to use your ticket but not cash because the claims on Sabbath you can't use cash you have to use a pre purchased ticket for your Sabbath meal these are not claims of the sabbath what are the claims the sabbath claims that god is a god of truth love freedom it's evidence of this He is not a dictator his rules are not arbitrary and imposed he is not the source of inflicted pain suffering and death this is what the sabbath claims are and understanding those claims that he's so amazing in this way so beautiful in this way that, that those claims of truth bind us to him in love and respect and admiration and adoration. Our hearts are bound in love. Sunday's lesson. The lesson points out that it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue each Sabbath, and uh, it seems to make you know put this out there for the purpose of trying to suggest that this is some you know law that he was keeping. I want to question: Was why was Jesus going to the Sabbath? Or going to the synagogue on Sabbath? Was he going to the synagogue on Sabbath because the law required him to go to the synagogue on Sabbath? No. Why did he go then? Thank you. Wendell said it perfectly. Where would he find the people he came to minister to on Sabbath? Where would they be? So, if on a particular Sabbath that local congregation was having an outdoor meeting by the lake on Sabbath in nature, would Jesus have gone to the synagogue anywhere and sat there by himself all Sabbath?
5: No.
0: No. No. Sabbath observance is not about being in a particular physical location, but having a particular heart and mindset with God. And in that heart and mindset, carrying out and fulfilling God's purposes for your life every day of the week, including the Sabbath. See, true Sabbath keepers are those who present the truth in love and leave others free. Whereas the beastly system are those who coerce. No one can by ourselves say those who have the mark. We will make up rules and we will enforce those rules with threats. And it doesn't matter if the, if the rules happen to have the right behavior as described by scripture. For instance, we're going to force everyone to be baptized by immersion and we believe the Bible teaches immersion. And then we're going to coerce people to do it. You do it under the threat of you will have to pay fines if you don't. That's beastly. Even if it's the right behavior. Everyone to worship on the seventh day Sabbath. All businesses will close from sunset Friday to sunset Sabbath. And if you don't, there'll be penalties and fines and imprisonments. It's beastly. This is not how God works. The lesson asks, why should we make it our custom to go to church on Sabbath as Jesus went to the synagogue on Sabbath? Why should it be our custom? Well, does it matter, first question, does it matter to which church one goes on Sabbath? Are there places first in the world where there are no churches to attend on Sabbath? There just aren't any. How about, are there churches in the world that are so unhealthy, it would be damaging to actually attend those churches, even on the Sabbath day? Do you think that I made that up? Did Christ tell his apostles that in some circumstances they should shake the dust off their feet and leave? I say this because church attendance should not be done from level four and below rules that we must keep, and if we don't go to church on Sabbath, somehow we're sinning for not being in church. But assuming there is a church to attend, and that church is not a destructive place to be, then why attend church on Sabbath? For others. For others.
3: Fellowship. Fellowship. To See, be a blessing and receive a
0: blessing. To be a blessing and receive a blessing, good. To learn from others. I mean, I learn things from people. I hear perspectives. Sometimes I hear stuff that has that have, I haven't heard a truth. I've heard a twisted lie, but that twisted lie was presented. I never heard that before, and that really stimulated me to go and really dig into it and find out what really was the truth. Have you ever had that happen?
1: I think one more reason is to practice um, love. You know, you, you can't you can't do that on your own. Um, you you have to be with others. You practice God's character while you're there. You practice mercy and and love and and truth, all of those things. And bringing-
0: compassion, kindness, grace, forgiveness, gentleness. So we develop an atmosphere at church where we're comfortable coming and disclosing our defects to each other, confessing our sins. You know, I had trouble this week with, uh, you know, I had a hit of cocaine. You do you do this at church, right? <laughs> church has
6: changed.
0: No, we do that at 12-step groups. Because at 12-step groups, you're saying, hey, welcome. And there's not condemnation. We don't, and at 12-step groups, do you ever hear a 12-step group, I've never heard of one, that actually promotes using drugs? Do they ever say, it's great to use drugs, good idea, well done, and you're, you're high this week? Yeah. No. They always send a clear message that doing drugs was not good for you, but there's also under the umbrella where it's clearly you're accepted. Mm-hmm. That's how church and sin is supposed to be. It's a clear message that sin is always bad for you, but you're accepted. Is that how we do it? You had a hand up.
5: I was just... Uh had a question about as far as whether the church is unhealthy or not, because Jesus went into churches that tried to kill him, and maybe the reason why we're there isn't necessarily for ourselves, it's for other people. Maybe there's one person, because we don't know the wheat from the tears. maybe there is wheat there. I wouldn't go in there if I didn't feel confident or strong enough, but I don't know...
0: This is a well-said point, and it takes wisdom and discernment, because you're exactly right, there are times to do that, but even Jesus himself said a prophet isn't respected in his hometown, and he couldn't do hardly any miracles at all in Nazareth, and he ultimately had to leave and go somewhere else to be able to minister. So it's it's true, though, he did try, but then after assessment and realization that hearts were closed and he couldn't do any work there, he moved on. That's a good point, yes. Yes.
4: Tim, I had an example personally with some friends of ours, close friends of ours that left this community and actually had for work to move to another major city. It was a fairly big city in the south. And they had been attending a church where there was children's ministry. They had small children. And they wanted to implement that at the church that they came to. And they talked to the pastor and other people there. And ultimately, when they found out the church that they would come from in this community... They were basically said, you know, we really don't think we want that in this church. And they literally were ostracized because of that experience. And it stopped going to church until they met some Christian friends where he worked and they invited him to a non-denominational church where all of that was going on. And they started going there and really started to come alive from a fellowship perspective.
0: On Sunday, right?
4: Well, actually, it, it was a Saturday evening. That Saturday, a Saturday, evening, Saturday church. evening church.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot of Sunday churches are doing Saturday evening services now. You all notice that. So
4: uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <just torn laughs> Sunday, but some parents just it is the fact that their right. kids had actually sad. started attending another church, and it's an example of how you know we can lose that love in our church to support people.
0: Thank you, Joe. Back in the back, there's a uh, somebody online.
6: I uh. I'm homebound because of illness, and I miss the people in the church. They were my friends, but when I became sick, they pretty much abandoned me. Then the next person says, consider us, Renee, your new church. Welcome home.
0: Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yes, over here. Yes. So the
2: thing that separates, there's things that there's arrogance and there's depression that separates there's self-centeredness that separates Um, and it just seems like the more and more the world is becoming the design is to separate even in the form of video games and I'm not here to judge a video game but you know know, video games and all that because you know there's situations on Sabbath where um, I'll say no to my son you can't do this and when I was raised you know it's a lot different Um, but the thing is, why is this wrong and that's not wrong? And I realize it's because he's not connecting with us. We might not be doing something Sabbath-y by tradition, but the fact that what he's doing is not connecting with us is why I said no to that. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah, and, and so the Sabbath uh, coming to church is also time to celebrate the one we love. Is there a sense of sometimes in celebration and praise and and in song and otherwise that you that you are? you 're moved in your adoration for God and the one we admire and respect together, and also there 's an opportunity to coordinate together and, 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 and pull resources together to for mission and purpose outside of the actual church itself into community and, and For instance, our ministry now is coming up on our five year you know it 's been five years since we founded our ministry coming up on five years. <laughs> And, and, and because, of, because of this class, we have reached tens of thousands of people all over the world, and we have so many opportunities to share, and so many people are connecting to us, connecting to us via the Internet and other uh, ways, and, th- and they're sharing this message in their community, like the letter I read earlier. And so we we're able to come together and pool our energies and resources to reach out and connect. Yes? I
3: think what we're talking about on church, uh, many of even our generation but hugely of the younger adult generation are not walking in church doors because of the issues we're talking about here but it does not mean that they are not spiritual and we need to realize that because a lot of time they're thinking deep spiritually people who do not walk in the church door but they don't See the way the church presents itself, whether this is Adventist or other denominations. This is a huge issue because, like you're saying, church comes across a lot more as a society club or a list of rules. Uh, it 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 doesn't <clears throat> so many times doesn't hit where daily life is. For this
0: is, this is very well said, and I'm going to tell you, um, our ministry is growing because we don't present things that way. I, I, there's more people than I can count that have communicated to me that they left a, a, a denominational church because it was simply ritualistic rules, things you had to do, and they're back I wouldn't say in church, but they're back in ministry, and some of them are back actually in church too, because their whole perspective has shifted from an imperial way of seeing God to design way. And when you see it this way, it actually has real application to your life every day, and it integrates into your relationships, how you live your life, and it's transformational, and, and it makes sense to them now, and it's reasonable. Yeah. Oh wait, over here. Somebody had a hand up over here first. Yeah.
6: The way, I, the way I see God in spiritual life is like a, a, one of those lovely big southern homes with a wraparound porch and two or three levels and lots of windows. And each of us, from our own lenses and experiences, we're looking into the house from our own window. And we're trying to describe to other people what we see. They're trying to do the same thing. Some are easy to see. Some you'd actually have to take a key and get into the house because they don't even have windows in that room. So to me, gathering together is like sharing what we're seeing from our window and listening to what other people see from theirs and thereby getting a lot more facets of God's uh, understanding of God's character and ways and stuff. And we benefit from sharing our view you know, with each other. Nice. nice. Oh, back
5: here. I like what she's saying, kind of piggybacks into what I'm saying. It's kind of like corporate. She's talking about corporate learning. So like a baby starts figuring out the rest of the body. But we get together because we are not only attached to Christ individually, but also as a body. We are the body the body of Christ. So it makes sense for us to be together, to make have that celebration.
8: Yeah. Wendell. There's certain things that we cannot do individually. And church sometimes is a time that you go there to be refreshed, but also it's a time to give. This morning, at the um, university church, um, they had orchestra and a hymn, that I was blessed and worshiped God in a way that I could not have by myself.
0: No, no, that's just well said. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yes, but
3: because of these issues, many people are approaching church as those who say, yes, I want to be a part of church or whatever, and I need to be very careful here because it's, it's really not fair. There are many genuine people. But... There, because of the form issues, there's attraction for people who want the form, but nothing more. And the problem is, is people who are truly searching for authenticity are struggling with the form and saying, what's the purpose? So they're somehow...
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that religion, and we're going to say religion because it's not just Christianity, uh, can do is that it can... Anesthetize the restlessness of the soul without transforming the soul. Wow! Follow what I'm saying here?
4: Yes. Inoculate.
0: Anesthetize.
4: <laughs>
0: yes, it's like having a cavity, and when you have a cavity, we have a cavity in the soul. The cavity causes pain. The pain stimulates us to seek solution because we're not at peace. We're uneasy. We're hurting. We're we're longing for something better. And one. Answer The answer that God has offered us is the answer of true transformation, filling the soul, going to the dentist, getting the cavity filled in our metaphor. But another option that many people fall into is getting on pain medicines. Taking medicines that alleviate the pain without filling the soul. And many religions of the world, and this is really the basis of much of Eastern religion, Eastern religions and the meditations of Eastern religions are primarily designed to anesthetize the soul without transforming the soul. But you can also have this in much ritualistic religion and Christianity as well, where they get comfort and peace in the belief that they've done this ritual or carried out this uh, this pro forma conduct or kept this feast day or whatever, and they've done this, and now they have peace. So their soul feels like they've accomplished something, but they haven't actually been transformed. And the challenge, so there's lots of these counterfeits out there, and our and our challenge is to be authentic coming back to the actual source so that we are genuinely transformed with new hearts and right spirits rather than just be anesthetized and you can be anesthetized also through the emotional religion where you go and you get this deep moving emotion from some experience and that makes you feel better for uh, 24 hours 48 hours a week maybe you can go every week to get this our gracious heavenly father we thank you so much that you are our creator god who has designed and built the universe to operate on the principles of love, truth, and freedom. We understand that because of of Adam's belief in a lie, the whole human race in this world has been deviant from your design and suffering under the weight of sin upon us. We understand also that you sent Jesus in order to cure and restore humankind and ultimately this whole world and universe back into harmony with you. We pray that your spirit will be poured out into our hearts and minds. Give us wisdom, discernment. And as we choose you, empower us to live the victorious life with new heart, new motives, new, a transforming power within us that the cavity of our souls are filled with your presence and that we can live as you would have us live, bright shining lights in this world to present the truth about you at this time in human history that the world might know the truth about you and you might come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen.